0: Hello, and welcome to the Sea Control Podcast. I'm Nathan Miller. Today, Jared speaks with Dita Lilianza, an ocean law and policy researcher at the National University of Singapore's Center for International Law. They discuss her article for the interpreter, Could Indonesia Legally Stop Transit by Nuclear Powered AUKUS Subs? Brendan Costello edited and produced this episode. SimSec is looking for a volunteer to join our technical team and support our web operations. We're looking for someone with a background in WordPress implementation and support, as well as knowledge in web hosting and networking. Some knowledge of identity management and security operations is also helpful. Please reach out to content at simsec.org to share your background and discuss. I would like to pause here to highlight our local chapters. Whether you are in South Korea, Egypt, Singapore, France, New York, India, or the Caribbean, chances are there's a SimSec local chapter near you. You can find a full listing of local chapters and contact information on our website, simsec.org. So if you are interested, please reach out. Finally, I want to take the opportunity to recommend our partners in the Simsec Podcast Network, the Bilge Pumps. You can find Alex, Jamie, Drack, and a pile of iron brew bottles wherever you download your podcasts. And with that, Kimber's Men.
1: You're
2: listening to Sea Control, hosted by the Center for International (laughs) Maritime (laughs) Security. Hello, teammates, and welcome back to Control. My guest today is Dita Lilianza, and we'll be discussing her article for the Interpreter, a Lowy Institute in p- publication entitled, Could Indonesia Legally Stop Transit by Nuclear-Powered AUKUS Subs? So, Dita, welcome. Could you start by telling the audience a little bit more about yourself, please?
1: Uh, thanks, Jared. So, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Dita. So, I'm currently a researcher at the Center for International Law at the National University of Singapore, uh, so I'm a lawyer by training, but I have a interest in maritime security and this topic is very close to my heart because I'm originally from Indonesia.
2: Well, thank you again for joining us. As a reminder to listeners, all opinions are our own and not reflective of any institution with which we might be otherwise associated. So detail, us the really obvious. Why is this even a question?
1: Right. Uh, so thanks, Jared, for the question. Uh, so my article is pretty much reacting to statements by some of the Indonesian government officials in the wake of the AUKUS announcement, uh, suggesting that Indonesia should consider prohibiting the passage of foreign submarines through its archipelagic waters if they are engaged in activities related to war or preparation of war or non-peaceful activities. So when I first read these statements, I was like, wait a minute on what grounds? And so as a lawyer by training, my brain always like automatically asks for the legality of an activity. You know, it raises a very interesting question on, you know, on that very focus where my article is, you know, like could Indonesia actually uh, stop transit by nuclear power subs?
2: I didn't write this uh, in the read ahead. I'm going to ask it anyway. If you can't answer it, feel free to pass on it. Um, can you explain a little bit more about the Indonesia's geography and why this is such a important question for them in particular? Because of just where the country sits between Australia and China.
1: So really Indonesia is in the middle of this, I think, competition, I would say. If you look at the map, Indonesia is pretty large. Uh, if you see, you know, like it connects the Indian Ocean and the Pacific Ocean. So whether whether you're coming from the Indian Ocean, going all the way to the South China Sea, you have to pass through certain choke points that are located in Indonesia. It, you know, Either it's the one in the Malacca Strait or in the Sunda Strait or the Lombok Strait. And I think in the context of submarines, uh, as I have been informed, I think among those choke points, I think Lombok uh, Strait is the most ideal location for submarines because of the depth. So it's much deeper. Uh, I think it's more than you know, 25 meters. I'm not sure. Uh, in, you know, in terms of the other straits, but uh, I've been informed that that's you know the ideal location where submarines can submerge uh, in their normal mode, which means you know underwater and all the way through the Mala- uh, to the Makassar Strait, which is between the Borneo and the Sulawesi. So uh really there are several options if you know, like let's say Australian subs want to traverse from its base in Perth or you know in Australia all the way to China, then it must go through Indonesian waters. That's why, you know, the questions of you know passage through Indonesian waters becomes very crucial in you know the whole AUKUS uh discussion because without being able to go through Indonesian waters, I don't think, uh, I think it will be too far. Well, they could always go all the way from, you know, Papua New Guinea or, you know, all the way, is kind of like uh, escaping Indonesia, but that will be too far. Uh, effectively, Indonesia is the shortest route if, you know, AUKUS subs want to go from Australia to China or South China Sea.
2: So for the listeners, we'll have a link in the show notes here. There's a SimSec did a choke points and littorals topic week uh, a couple of years ago. And one of the submissions for that was a very detailed map of the Indo Pacific and specifically all the straits that you just mentioned and what exactly will and will not fit uh, in which mode through those straits. Um, But what rights do ships and warships specifically have to transit territorial waters?
1: Right. So, I think to answer this question, I just have to give some brief context. So, in this regards, uh, when we're talking about archipelagic waters and the rights of ships and warships, we pretty much talk about the Law of the Sea Convention, which was concluded in 1982, entered into force in 1994. Now, it has 168 parties, including Indonesia. So, some who are not parties to the convention, like the United States have considered many of its provisions as customary international law, meaning it is also binding on non-parties. So one key aspect of UNCLOS is its zonal approach. So it divides the ocean into several maritime zones with different rights and obligations. And one of these zones, which is critical to our discussion today, is the archipelagic waters. You know, based on this uh, archipelagic waters There are only several states, you know, in the world that claim archipelagic archipelagic state status, including Indonesia. You know, with, with that status, Indonesia is able to draw archipelagic waters. And based on the Law of the Sea Convention, all ships, including submarines and warships, have guaranteed rights to navigate through archipelagic waters under the right of innocent passage, or the right of archipelagic sea lane passage. So, you know, how are they different? So the right of archipelagic sea lane passage uh, grants all ships the right to navigate continuously and expeditiously in their normal mode through the archipelagic waters and the adjacent territorial sea. And so the term normal mode here uh, for submarine, especially means that they may navigate submerged since that's their normal mode of uh, navigation but this right cannot be impeded or suspended by the archipelagic state for any reason so um whereas the other right the archipelagic uh, you know the innocent passage it's quite different in a way that you know it's more limited uh, but it applies throughout archipelagic waters and through the territorial sea so unlike the archipelagic sealant passage that we just discussed, uh, submarines exercising this right uh, must navigate on the surface. So submarines must navigate on the surface and show their flag and comply with uh, you know other rules on passage, uh, such as refraining from engaging in any activity that is uh, prejudicial to the peace, good order, or security of the coastal state. And another point that is relevant to our discussion on AUKUS is that under unlike the archipelagic sealine passage if ships navigate through the innocent passage this right may be temporarily suspended in specified, uh, in specified areas of the archipelagic waters and territorial sea provided that such suspension is essential for the protection of the security uh, of the coastal state of course uh, you know there is a due notice requirement that uh, must be rendered by the coastal state before imposing such uh, closure in its waters.
2: What theoretical restrictions could Indonesia impose?
1: In archipelagic waters where the right of archipelagic sea lane passage applies, of course, Indonesia cannot impose any restriction. So even let's say we're, we're talking you know, in the context of wartime, these lanes must be kept open. So archipelagic states have an obligation to respect this right of foreign submarines But when we're talking about, you know, the innocent passage uh, right in the archipelagic waters, since temporary suspension can take place, uh, if it's essential for the protection of coastal state security, uh, Indonesia, you know, can give due notice to the public, but then it has to specify, you know, like provide navigation warnings to mariners, uh, specifying the coordinates at which the temporary closure would be held and for how long. But again, you know, like this, I think the last time Indonesia had this closure was in 1988. But even during that time, it was, there was a bit of a debate among, you know, like scholars, whether it's allowed, you know, because some of the closures also took place in the ceilings, which I think if we read the Law of the Sea Convention correctly, uh, such closures should not have taken place. If it's, you know, in the, in the archipelagic waters where innocent passage applies, then of course, you you know, Indonesia has the rights to close it temporarily. But I think the key word here is temporarily. So it's not like permanent and it's also non-discriminatory. So, you know, it has to apply to all states. So like if you close the ceiling just for certain states, then that would raise the question of why, you know, like you treat certain states differently than others.
2: Does UNCLOS address changes specific to wartime, and if so, what are they?
1: No, unfortunately, not. Like so UNCLOS, as far as I know, does not explicitly address uh, changes to uh, specific to wartime, which is why I think uh, there have been some debates as to whether you know UNCLOS applies during an international armed conflict or not. So, views uh, among scholars vary from UNCLOS not applying at all to UNCLOS remaining applicable. Based on my research, a law of naval warfare supersedes UNCLOS for belligerent parties, that's for sure. But then UNCLOS continues to govern the conduct between neutral and belligerents, and of course among neutrals. So I would agree that maritime rights and duties that states enjoy in peacetime continue during an armed conflict, particularly the rules on passage rights of foreign ships through archipelagic waters. But minor exceptions may apply but not for the passage rights. So I'll just give you one example of how that minor exception is. The exercise of the belligerent's right of visit, search, and capture, for instance, over neutral merchant ships. That provides an exception to exclusive flag state jurisdiction, which is well protected in the law of the sea convention during peacetime. But, you know, like during wartime, when, you know, there is the need to kind of like balance the need of belligerents to conduct effective warfare and also the interest of the neutrals to continue peaceful and profitable trade through commercial shipping, then, you know, this right is pretty much how customary international law envisage, or, you know, develop in the context of wartime. At the moment, law of naval warfare is primarily based on customs, but you mentioned San Remo man, Manual. Uh, it's an unofficial statement, but it has been widely accepted as a reflection of customary international law. But even, let's say, you know, like if we say that, you know, okay, let's say UNCLOS does not apply. And then we specifically refer to San Remo only. Like theoretically. So, even during, uh, you know, under San Remo Manual, passage rights applicable to archipelagic waters in peacetime will continue to apply during an armed conflict. So, yes, you know, a neutral archipelagic state may condition, restrict, prohibit, you know, the entrance or passage through its neutral waters by belligerent ships uh, on a non discriminatory basis. Except for passage through archipelagic sea lanes, you know whether formally designated or not. I think I haven't discussed it because why? Um, you know, I talk about whether it's formally designated or not is because in the Indonesian context, Indonesian designation of archipelagic sea lanes is considered partial because it only uh, covers the north-south lanes, the three north-south lanes, but it hasn't covered the east-west routes. So that means other states may exercise the rights of archipelagic sealant passage not only through this designated links to the north south but theoretically through you know the east west route but i think in the context of submarines then maybe the next question is is the east west route you know like ideal for submarines is it deep enough for submarines to traverse but let's say if it is then you know this option to traverse under archipelagic sealant passage through the east west route Remains open.
2: Then one just final question. So, regardless of what Indonesia wants to do, and we could say for the, the sake of argument for this question, we we'll say it wants to prevent transit by belligerents, any sides participating in a conflict. Is it capable of enforcing that against anyone?
1: Well, I think it's an excellent question. Because I'm a lawyer and not a defense expert and certainly not a naval warfare expert. Uh, but I think other states would want to continue their passage through the choke points in Indonesian waters, especially when you know the law clearly supports such continuation of passage. So they have a strong case to make um, you know, to continue the passage because the law also prohibits the closure of such lanes even during wartime. But then, you know, you're right to ask the question, you know, how would Indonesia enforce it? Is it capable? So like another question would be, if Indonesia does that, would the closure only apply to certain ships, you know, to these AUKUS subs or to other ships as well? And what does it mean to Indonesia's status during, you know, if, because you're mentioning about belligerent? So I'm assuming that we're talking specifically in the context of wartime. So what does it mean if, you know, there is a wartime and Indonesia uh, chooses to close these ceilings? Uh, what does it mean to Indonesia's status? Is it still a neutral state or is it also a belligerent? So I think I will leave it there for another discussion and maybe future discussion.
2: Yeah, I have to believe it's almost impossible to close close, uh, particularly using naval mines, only because... You stop the trade that passes through there. Just forget all the warship stuff. You stop the sheer quantity of trade that passes through all those states. The international economy is going to grind to a halt in the way that we've only saw with the Ever Given. So, at which point everyone involved is going to be very upset about it. Both sides of the belligerents would have intense interest in that as well. But fascinating yeah. questions. Um, I'm sorry that's all that we have time for today. I do want to thank my guest, Dita Lilianza. Tito, where can we find you online and what are you working on next?
1: So you can find me online on LinkedIn or Twitter. So my Twitter handler is at uh, D-L-I-L-I-A-N-S-A. So pretty much uh, the first letter of my first name and then my last name. And now I'm actually working on another, another article on on wartime, but really focused on the threats to commercial shipping during an international armed conflict. So really, Jared, your last point about you know all the responses from you know the commercial trade or the non-belligerent side is very uh, very much relevant to my upcoming article. Please look forward to it because I think it's a, such an interesting paper and such an interesting topic.
2: I am looking forward to it, and uh, we definitely want to bring you back once that is published. So uh, we will be in touch. But thank you again for joining us today. To the listeners, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.